Good morning again. Uh, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Ruth chapter 4. I believe that's on page 286 if you're going to use one of the big blue Bibles that we provide underneath the chair in front of you. Ruth chapter 4 for our final sermon in our study of the beautiful book of Ruth. I'll be reading verses 18 through 22 as we bring this sermon series to a close today. Uh, Here now, God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you. That you speak to us through your word and by your spirit. And most of all in the person and work of your son. And we thank you that all scripture is breathed out by you. Profitable for us to teach us, to correct us, to train us. To reveal to us who you are and what you're like. Your incredible glory and your incredible grace. And we thank you for the time that you've given us in the book of Ruth and pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, sow the things that we've learned into the fabric of our hearts, that we might continue to apply them both for your glory and for our joy. And bless us now as we bring our study to a close and pray that you would use today and all our time in the book of Ruth to continue to shape us and equip us and excite us about our mission to make disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it's funny how things don't always turn out as you would expect. And um, I was reading about something, and you can't make this stuff up, but um, apparently in, in 1958 there was a man named Robert Lane, and he had a son, and so he decided to name his son Winner. And so there, there is a human being named Winner Lane. Um, and that's not where the story gets interesting. Three years later... This man had another son and, for reasons we may never know, decided to name him Loser. I'm not kidding. It's in a book called Freakonomics. Okay? And so there really is a winner lane and a loser lane. Now, uh, you might expect one of them to do well in life and one of them to not do so well at all, depending on their name, right? Well, let me tell you about Loser. Okay, Loser Lane actually ended up getting a scholarship to prep school. He graduated from Lafayette College in Pennsylvania. He joined the New York City Police Department. He was promoted first to detective and then to sergeant. That's pretty pretty good. Okay, and that, and his name really is Loser. Uh, what about his brother William? A uh, winner, sorry, Winner Lane. He was arrested nearly 13 times for burglary, domestic violence, resisting arrest, and a few other things. Not. Exactly what we might expect, right? Um, but that's the way life is. A lot of times things don't happen the way we would, we would expect. And in fact, a lot of the times that we really struggle and wrestle in life is because things are not going as we had expected or even maybe as we hoped. And one of the questions for us to wrestle with as we bring this study of Ruth to a close is, how do we react when things go really wrong? 
um, what is it that we expect to happen when life seems to be coming apart at the seams? Do we tend to be people that expect that this situation or this trial or this challenge is going to undo me or it's going to destroy my life or I'll never be happy again? Do we tend to expect things like that? And if that is our normal way of dealing with difficulty in life, of expecting this is, this is going to prevent me from, from having joy and happiness, we have good news this morning. Because the reality is if we, if we look at what we've seen in the book of Ruth and as we bring things to a close, we can see that if our faith is in Christ, there are certain things we can expect from God when we are facing something incredibly difficult. And that's going to be our focus for this morning. In fact, we're going to answer uh, this question. If our faith is in Christ, what can we expect from God when life gets extraordinarily difficult? Okay? We're going to answer those three questions based on what we've seen in the book of Ruth and what we see here at the end. If our faith is in Christ, what can we expect from God when life gets extraordinarily difficult? Uh, three things. Okay? I would say there's three things we can expect from God when things get really tough. Number one, we can expect that God will provide, that he will get us through. Okay, that's one. Number two, uh, we can expect that God has a purpose for the challenge or the struggle that we're going through. Number three, that God will eventually make all things new. These three things that God will provide, that God has a purpose, and that God will eventually make all things new. If we will choose to bite down on these things and believe these things deeply as we face the challenges of life, it's going to completely transform how we go about these difficult things that come about in our lives. So we're going to talk about these three three things this morning. So number one, God will provide. When things get difficult through faith, we can expect that God will provide. Now, uh, keep your Bibles open. We're going to kind of look at a couple different spots here in the book of Ruth that we've already been. But if we flip back to the beginning of the story, we remember that it began with a complete disaster for Naomi. Right? If you go back to the first chapter, the opening verses tell us that Naomi's husband and her two sons died and she was basically left nearly destitute. And the most significant problem that she has in the beginning uh, with all this tragic loss is now she lacks an heir. Uh, she lacks somebody who will take care of her in her old age as, and manage and then receive her inheritance. And in that time and culture, that was a really bad thing. And so this story begins with this disaster for Naomi, and she acknowledged it. If you remember, she, she acknowledged just how bad things were. Look at chapter 1, verse 20. Recall when she said, Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And she's saying that because she had lost virtually everything. So what did she expect to happen? Well, see, then you, if you fast forward the tape to the end where we are now, and particularly you know what we picked up with last week, uh, what you see is that she's in a very different situation. Because of the loving kindness of Ruth and because of the righteous activity of Boaz, Naomi now has what she needs. If you look back at verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 17, Obed arrives. This boy who's going to be uh, for Naomi an heir and someone to take care of her in her old age. In fact, look at chapter 4, 
verses 14 and 15. Remember how the women rejoiced and praised God that he has provided for Naomi. Look what they say. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. So basically, in short, what's happening is here, God is providing. God has provided for Naomi's needs. He'd been working behind the scenes. He was moving things forward to the point when people would rejoice at his provision. Notice again, it says, the Lord has not left you without a redeemer. The women are praising God because they see that he has provided for her. Obed, this little baby boy, Obed is a shining example of God's provision for Naomi. And it's a reminder to you and I of the fact that God provides for his people. He's with us as we go through these struggles and he will provide. He will meet our needs. Now, to be sure, God doesn't always meet our needs in the exact way we would think or hope sometimes. Um, He often doesn't provide uh, at the time that we would like him to. But the bottom line is, and this is one of the hardest but also most important things for us to believe when we're facing a difficult season, God will provide. The Lord provides. And if you think about it, for the rest of Naomi's life now, she can look back and remember that in her time of desperate need, the Lord provided. And in fact, this is one of the key disciplines for you and I as followers of Jesus. When things are getting very difficult, that's the time for us too to look back, to look at the scriptures and see all the ways in which through redemptive history, God has provided for his people. He always provides for his people. But also in our own lives to look back and to see and remember all the different times that God has shepherded us through, right? I mean, we're here, like you're here right now. I'm here. And as we look back and see all the ways that God provided for his people in the scriptures and look back and see all the ways that God has provided for us in our lives, it strengthens us and it helps us to expect that he's going to provide. The Lord provides. And the more that we believe that, then the more we're able to have hope, even when things seem to be falling apart at the seams. It's very interesting. We've got to look back so we can look forward with hope. You know... Um, There's a few UCF students that worship at UPC who are on the rowing team at UCF. I don't know if you've ever seen a rowing competition, but it's pretty remarkable. Uh, Rowing involves a lot of upper body strength and lower body strength. You basically just have to be super strong everywhere to row. And one of the things that's so interesting about rowing is the rowers are rowing as hard as they can. They're using every muscle that they have, and they're pushing and and pulling these uh, oars through the water, but they're facing backwards. Isn't that interesting? They are facing backwards. They cannot see where they're going. Okay. And that's why they crash into things all the time. Oh wait, no, they don't. They don't crash into things all the time. Why not? Because there's one person who's in the boat with the rowers who's facing forward. It's the position of coxswain. And that person sits in the back of the boat and looks forward and is able to not only see where they're going, but then provide the instructions necessary for those who are pushing with all their might, but can't see 
So when do they find out that the coxswain knew where they should go? As it goes by. They can see it as it goes by, as they look back. And as they are looking back and seeing that the coxswain has taken them where they need to go, it helps them trust in that person that that person can see what's ahead and what they need. And so they have a rower's view, right? Well, the way that we discipline ourselves and build in ourselves this uh, ability to, to trust that God will provide in the future is to have a rower's view of life, to be looking back, to trust that every time we're going through something, we can't see what's ahead, but we can keep rowing hard because God is with us. He can see ahead and he is leading us the whole time. And as we see things go by, in other words, as we see the ways he's provided for us in the past, it strengthens us so that we can trust he's going to provide now. He's going to provide in the future. And when you believe, God will get me through this. God will provide. It transforms how you face it and enables you to do it with hope. Um, For example, uh, imagine things become really, really difficult at work. Okay? Okay. And you're just thinking, how in the world are we ever going to get through this? How am I going to deal with this? That's the time to remember, wait a second, the Lord provides. The Lord is with me. He can see everything. And he knows when he's going to get me through this, how he's going to get me through this. It's believing he's in the boat with us. That's how we do that. And why do we do that? Why should we trust him? Well, because, as Paul says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, Paul is saying, listen, if God has given his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins, then we can trust he's always going to give us what we need. If he's met our greatest possible need to be forgiven of our sin, then of course, why would we not expect him to meet all of our needs? And so we can face uh, or even go backwards into these challenging things, trusting that he can see everything he will provide. He's provided in the past. The Lord provides. That's number one. Number two, as we think about what we've seen in the book of Ruth and uh, in this genealogy here, uh, number two, God has a purpose for everything that we're going through. The Lord provides and the Lord has a purpose. God has a purpose. Let's talk about that. When things get difficult, through faith, we can expect God has a purpose for what's happening. So as we look at Naomi's situation with a rower's view, looking back, we can see that God did have a good purpose for all of the disaster and calamity that he allowed in Naomi's life. Um, to see this, you do have to look back a little bit and loop something in from farther back in redemptive history. You don't have to turn there now, but in Genesis 49.10... Uh, It was written that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. And what that meant was there would always be this royal line, royal lineage, that would go from Judah onward. And so basically God said there would be this royal lineage uh, coming from Judah, who was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And uh, by the time of David's life, it was crucially important for the royal line to run from Judah all the way to David. Because that if David, if they couldn't show that the line ran all the way to David, then David's kingship would not be valid or legitimate. So there needed to be this clear path from Judah to David. And if you look back at the genealogy at the end of the book of Ruth, look at chapter 4, verse 18, you'll notice that it goes from Perez, 
down through Boaz and Obed, who we met in Ruth, and then all the way to David. The royal line goes from Perez to David. Well, how does that help us? Well, the father of Perez was Judah. So technically, what the author of Ruth has given us at the end here is that full line from Judah all the way to David. And so we know that the royal line is intact. And that's one of the purposes of all the things that happened, is to keep that royal line intact. A very important thing. But not only that, uh, we also want to recognize that because of Ruth being brought in, the royal line has a mix of both Jew and Gentile blood. And that's huge. Because it reminds us that God's heart is for all nations. That people of all nations can put their faith in God and be redeemed, be forgiven, be promised eternal life. His heart has always been towards all the nations. And we see that. That's something incredibly important that we wouldn't have without Ruth being in the line. And we could talk about that a lot more. uh, But just think about this now. If Naomi's family had not had to go to Moab because of famine. Um, She never would have met Ruth. If her husband and her sons hadn't died, she never would have gone back to Bethlehem, which she did with Ruth. Ruth would have not clung to her and then also met Boaz, who then Ruth and Boaz had Obed, and the line is complete, and someone from a Gentile nation, even an enemy nation, is now part of the line. And all of these things happened as part of God's plan. And so you and I can realize that there was purposes for all this. And that, you know, we might not say, well, does that really justify all the things that happened? I mean, some really bad stuff happened to her. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the one thing that we can see is that, uh, one thing we can choose to believe is that when God allows us, his children, those who believe in Christ, to suffer. He's always got a purpose. There's always something that he's doing. And if we were able to see all those purposes, we would, we would celebrate. We can't see them in this life. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we can see the way God uses hardship to actually bring about something good. Um, some of you are probably familiar, there is a, a condition called dyslexia. Some of you might have dyslexia. Uh, it's a problem with the way people hear and manipulate sounds and makes it hard to read and even converse with others at times. Some of you might have it. Some of you might know somebody who has it. Somebody, uh, some of you may know someone who has a child who has dyslexia. And as you might imagine, when a parent finds out that a chi- their child has dyslexia, there's a moment of what, what's that going to mean for my child? You know something very interesting? Let me, do you know who has dyslexia? I'll tell you somebody who's, at least by the world's standards, incredibly successful who has dyslexia. Richard Branson. He's the British billionaire. Uh, Many of you know who he is. He has dyslexia. You know who else has dyslexia? Charles Schwab, the founder of Charles Schwab Investment Brokerage. You know who else? David Nealman, the founder of JetBlue. You know who else? John Chambers, the CEO of Cisco, a technology giant. You know who else? Paul, Paul Orfela, the founder of Kinko's. You know who else? Gary Cohn, the CEO of Goldman Sachs. Uh, One author says, an extremely high number of successful entrepreneurs are dyslexic. A recent study by Julie Logan at City University London puts the number somewhere around a third. Isn't that amazing? Around a third, around a third 
of the world's successful entrepreneurs are dyslexic. Now, so in that situation, you can say, wow, what somebody might have thought would, would be something bad has actually turned into something really wonderful for those people. That's one of the examples when we can see the way God uses hard things. He has a purpose in them. But uh, a lot of times, uh, we don't get to see what those purposes are. But we can trust, when we look at the scriptures, and we can see that God, everything he does is purposeful, the more that we choose to believe there is a purpose for what we're going through, the easier it is for us to face it, and the more we're able to have hope. In fact, we can even prove this. Let me ask you a question. Would you run into a building, uh, and knowing you were going to sustain third-degree burns for $50? Okay. No. Some of our college students in the next service might be like, well... Would you, let me ask you this though, would you run into that burning building knowing you're going to sustain third degree burns on your body in order to save someone you love, your child, your parent, your best friend? See? Suddenly knowing that suffering or struggling is for a really good purpose doesn't make it hurt any less, but it makes it worthy. It makes it you willing, right? And this is where faith comes in. Faith, through faith, we can, we must choose to believe. I don't know what the purpose is in this, but I believe there is one. That's what faith does. Chooses to believe that God always has a good purpose, that he never wastes even one second of the suffering of his people. And, you know, how's this get real practical? Maybe some of you are dreading Thanksgiving because you're going to have to be around family and it's really hard to be around those family members. Maybe it's actually a really hard thing for you. And we could just, just yeah, it's always hard. Or we could, we could remember, wait a second, even in this strain I have with my family, there's still a purpose. God has a purpose. We can even choose to believe that he's chosen you to bear that burden. For a good purpose. And maybe you see it in this life, maybe you don't, but you can know that it's there. And when you know that it's there, it changes how you go through it. There's a purpose in this. God, who is good, has a purpose in this. And Jesus makes this uh, the most clear when we think about him going to the cross, right? He went to the cross. His suffering was for a purpose, the greatest purpose, the redemption of sinners like you and me. And think about even in Hebrews 12 too, it says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame. In other words, Jesus knew there was such a glorious purpose in suffering to pay for our sins and make us right with God, that he was willing to do it. He even had joy knowing that on the other side, you and I who believe would be forgiven, we'd be declared righteous. And so the cross proves that when God's children are suffering, there's always a purpose, always a very good purpose, even when we can't see it. And when we are facing these difficult things and we, one, believe that God will provide, and then, two, we believe that there is a purpose, it changes things. Third, we also want to believe that God will eventually make all things new. God is going to eventually make all things new. When things get difficult through faith, we can expect God will make all things new. So the genealogy at the end of Ruth is critically important for proving the the legitimacy of David's kingship, but it's also important for proving Jesus' kingship. 
the Messiah was to come from the line of Judah. We find that in Micah 5. The Messiah was also to come from the line of David. We see that in 2 Samuel 7. And then in the New Testament, uh, we know that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, has done something eternally important for each of us who believe, and he will do something eternally important for everyone who believes because he is the king. He's God's chosen king. And we see the lineage. We see it's all there. Well, what has he done? What has the Messiah done? Well, we talk about this every week. He has come to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that all who believe in him would be declared righteous, forgiven of all their sins through faith alone, not by anything that we do, but because of what Christ has done. And if we have faith in him, then we're forgiven, we're promised eternal life. That's what he has done. But what will he do? Sometimes we don't think enough about what Christ will do. And let's jump back into the story of Naomi for a moment. Uh, if we think about the birth of Obed, right, this baby that came, this uh, person who would be her heir, it's, it was a glorious thing for her. Okay, we see her at the end there holding him in her hands. Okay, it's beautiful. She's, it's a glorious thing God has provided. She would have an heir in her old age. But let's be honest. Did the birth of Obed make up for the loss of her husband and her sons? Now bear with me for a moment because I'm going to say something that it might sound wrong at first. I would say Obed did not make up for the death of Elimelech. Malon and Kilion, her husband and her two sons. Just like for many of us, the fact that God has provided and he's given us glimpses of how there were purposes in the things that we've suffered, uh, those things don't really make up for the pain that we've experienced. He doesn't take it away. Why is that? That is because the ultimate fulfillment that our hearts are waiting for, uh, the ultimate relief from all pain and struggle and suffering is still in the future. It's normal for us to not feel fully fulfilled yet. Because that is still coming. In fact, um, my family and I were reading about this in our morning devotions just the other day. Think of Revelation 21, 3 through 5. This is a picture of the future. This is what Christ will do when he returns. It says, And, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling, of, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Listen, this is, this is really actually really important. You and I do not need to feel guilty or bad because we still have longings that are unmet. We still have pain that hasn't gone away. The provisions that God has given to us matter. They help us to worship him, trust him. The glimpses of purpose in these sufferings matter. 
They help us worship Him. They help us trust Him. But God Himself has shown to us that the full deliverance from all of our sadness and sorrow and pain is yet to come. And therefore, we're meant to be a people looking forward, waiting, waiting for the return of Christ. This is why we're going to focus on longing for the return of Christ during our Advent season this year, which starts next week. To, to believe that, yes, I'm never going to be fully fulfilled now. I'm always going to still, I'm still going to have some pain and sorrow now because the full deliverance from these things is coming. And it's coming with Christ. Paul says in Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. In other words, he's acknowledging we're still suffering now, but the glory that's coming, make up for it all. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 2, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So he's saying we have no idea. We can't even begin to imagine just how glorious this new heavens and new earth is going to be and being in the actual presence of Christ, the risen Christ, and how that will fulfill our hearts, erase our sorrow in the new heavens and new earth where everything sad comes untrue. That's what we're waiting for. And there's a tendency to want to feel like that now. But God has reserved that full deliverance for the future when Christ returns, which is why we want to continue to focus on the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations, spreading the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. But it will come. And when you and I believe that Christ will return and make all things new and literally fully remove all the sorrow, all the pain, changes everything. You know, years ago I saw this video. I'll never forget it. It was of this young girl whose dad was serving in the military and uh, her high school was going to honor her dad at, at a football game. And so... Um, He's still overseas, and and so the the football game comes. They put her dad's picture up on the big screen, and she walks out onto the field. He's you know in, in this picture in his uniform, and uh, as she as this young girl walks out onto the field, the announcer is talking about her dad and who he is and uh, where he's serving and how long he's been deployed. And this young girl walks out onto this football field and, you know, she's excited to be there and for everyone to be honoring her dad and his service. And while the announcer is talking about her dad, I mean, she knows he's coming home. He's supposed to be coming home in just a few more months. She knows he's coming. She has that knowledge. He, he will be here one day. But even still, you can see that as the announcer is talking about her dad, there are tears. There is sorrow. She can feel that pain. And the announcer continues to talk about her dad. And then the announcer says that this young girl is going to see her dad soon. Sooner than she might have thought. And suddenly at one end of the field, there's the crowd starts making noise. And sure enough, onto the field walks this man in his uniform, her dad, home early. And as the crowd starts to go wild, this young girl looks over and she sees that he's there and she just takes off running. She's in a full sprint and she's running and running and then she gets to her dad and slams into him and she hugs him so tightly and he hugs her back and then she weeps and she weeps and she weeps and he wipes 
and he wipes her tears. Because he was finally home. The waiting was finally over. And in the same way that this young girl knew her dad would come home, that was never quite enough. She wanted him back in person. And you and I need to realize that, yes, when we are facing difficulty, God will provide. Trust him. And there are purposes. Sometimes you see him, sometimes you don't. But that full embrace that will erase all our pain and sorrow is yet to come. One day, the Bible does teach that God himself, the risen Christ, will walk onto that field and you and I will run, will run, and will slam into him. And we'll weep. And he'll wipe away every tear. That's what it says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And pain will be no more. Either will there be mourning or crying or death. For the old has passed away and the new has come. That's what we're waiting for. And my friends, it's coming. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have revealed to us that you provide Would you strengthen us, Holy Spirit, help us believe in the provision of God and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus when we face these trials, trusting you will provide. And will you help us believe deeply, even when we can't see it, there's purposes for these things. And will you you help us, in faith, look forward to that day when Christ will return and make all things new. Help us long for that embrace and live with hope, knowing that one day we shall have it. For it has been promised by our God who does not break his promises, not even one. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.